0: Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, episode 212, March Gamer Madness. Best historical era for games. We'd like to thank our brand new Patreon backers, Michael, Rico, Tudor, and Elise. At the producer level, you all rock. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast with board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. Thank you all for joining this episode. We have a fantastic fun time for you up ahead. Of course, it is March Gamer Madness. And for this specific bracket, we are talking about the best historic era for games. So, Anthony, why don't you break that down a little bit for us?
1: Well, I mean, we had a whole bunch we started off with, but we're trying to find different groupings of historic eras that will allow us to put together brackets of 16 games. And so what we have is ancient So kind of the anything that happened before about 500 A.D., but not quite prehistoric levels, medieval. So from like 500 to 1500. And then we split up everything from there on into early modern, which is like your Renaissance and your age of exploration up to about 1700 or so. And then the late modern era, which is. All the revolutions and everything happening throughout Europe and the West, as well as the Industrial Revolution that kind of kicked off in the 19th century. Those are the different groups we're going to talk about, and we'll get into what those games are pretty soon.
0: All right. So, Anthony, we have a lot of news going on with us at at Board Gamers Anonymous. So let me start off with a, a little request for everyone out there. If you are on Board Game Geek, you might have noticed that on the top right of their front page they have a banner button for their Board Game Geek nominations. This is really a fun thing to do because you get to vote on a number of different categories, including the Best Game of the Year, the Best Board Game App, and just a whole bunch of different board game awards. One of the possibilities that you can vote for, and we really would appreciate if you do so, is for Best Board Game Podcast. So, you know, if you happen to be on Board Game Geek and you happen to see the giant gold button on the top right, and if you want to throw a little nomination our way, we'd really appreciate that because we really want to get more of this board game goodness out to everybody. And we want to let them know more about BGA.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, and, you know, you guys listen, if you guys think it's award worthy, you know, it'd be really cool if you just give us a couple clicks real quick. And it's fun. You can run through into all the other categories as well. It has literally every podcast in existence on there, too. So it's a fun way to kind of look through and see if there's some other content out there you might want to check out. Absolutely. All right, Anthony,
0: so we have some contest winners from our Patreon-backed contest. So why don't you tell us about that?
1: Yes, so our Patreon contest, if you guys are not aware of this yet, if you're just hopping in this week, every week, every single week that we have an episode, uh, we are giving away a game to one of our Patreon backers. So this was one of our quote-unquote stretch goals that we set uh, when we reach a certain threshold. We'll be able to start giving away games every week. And now we are doing it. So it's been pretty cool. We've done four. This is the fifth week already. Can't believe time passes that fast. And so last week, Martin, uh, one of our longtime listeners, is in the Slack group. He picked Citrus, and that game is on its way to him. This week's winner is Andrew. Andrew, I'm going to reach out to uh, today, and um, he'll get a giant list of about 50 or so games courtesy of Game Surplus and be able to choose one of those, and it'll be shipped on its way to him. And uh, just kind of a thank you to everybody who backs the patreon and kind of a fun thing it's something we've always wanted to do is just give away more stuff typically we could do one contest every three to four months now we can do one every single week plus an extra one when it comes to like the uh the bracket that we're doing as well
0: yeah thank you so much for supporting us it makes a big difference for us And it helps us do more and more great things for you. So hopefully the Patreon goes up even higher and then we can get out even more games. So once again, thank you all for your support, whether you're backing us on Patreon, telling your friends about Board Gamers Anonymous, sharing our information on Facebook, Twitter, on Board Game Geek, and obviously, once again, the Board Game Geek nominations. All of this is a big help. And we personally, really, truly and deeply love everything you do. So thank you again. All right, so for this week, we are jumping directly into our feature review, which is our March Gamer Madness Best Historic Era for Games. So Anthony, why don't you
1: give us a layout of the bracket for this week and for the upcoming weeks? Yeah, so we have 64 games, as you might expect, for brackets that are produced in months that are March. There are 16 of them for each of the four categories. As I mentioned, we have Ancient, uh, we have Medieval, and then Early and Late Modern. And the way it's been broken down is we went through, Chris and I went through, and we picked out games that represented these eras, not necessarily for, like, you thinking ancient, maybe you're thinking Rome or Greece, but try to, like, fit that historical era and tried to be as representative as we could across different cultures. Obviously, there's, it's a lot more Eurocentric than, you know, global, but there are some other uh, cultures represented in each of these categories, and we tried to make sure those were included. We also did reach out to our Slack group, so thank you to everybody in there who nominated games. Uh, there were several, actually, that got mentioned that I had not thought of and that didn't pop up and kind of running through the BGG lists, and that was very helpful, kind of filling this out. Some of the ones that were mentioned didn't quite make the cut. Uh, I think for Ancient and Medieval in particular, we had like 40 or 50 games listed for each of these before I kind of narrowed it down to 16. So there are a lot of games (laughs) that are historical and we kind of narrow that down and then the last thing i wanted to mention is for any of the war gamers out there there aren't a lot of those in here and part of that is we don't really play those very much it's not really so when you get into the early and late modern stuff in particular there are a lot of war games like if you look at you know age of reason for example or the early 19th century it's just war games right and some of those are fantastic some of them i've heard are fantastic Most of them, honestly, we haven't played enough to actually give a a reasoned opinion about. There are a few in here, though. We'll call them out when we get to them. But just before anybody messages us and asks where their favorite war game is, that's where it is. Unplayed.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and we also stayed away from things that weren't part of the period. So anything that was anachronistic or just straight out magical or sci-fi or steampunk or things like that nature. We really want to stick to the historic era and that's going to be our basic rubric going forward. So when we're talking about the games for this episode and for all the following episodes, we're trying to get the game that really fits that historic era to the best of its ability. And obviously once again, thank you all for jumping on and completing the bracket voting and obviously at the end and in two weeks from now we will have our winner and we will announce which of you bested our best historic era for games bracket for 2019 that's that's a serious mouthful my friend (laughs) <laughs> but we're going to have a serious mouthful to go on to. So hook in, stay with us. It's going to be a long and bumpy ride, but hopefully a lot of fun for all of you listening out there. So I'm going to announce the games and run through the first line from Board Game Geek to give you just basic idea of what the game is about. And Anthony and I are going to battle it out. And if the game comes down to a tie, we're going to jump over to the brackets and see what the majority picked. And that's going to be the game. All right, so here we go. Starting off with the Ancient Bracket, at the number one seed, we have, of course, have Seven Wonders. All right, so to start off, we are jumping into the Ancient Bracket with our number one seed, Seven Wonders, taking on our number 16 seed, Roll Through the Ages, the Bronze Age. You are the leader of one of the seven great cities of the ancient world. And in Roll, For the ages, the Bronze Age, players roll dice to obtain commodities and workers to build up their
1: civilization. All right, Anthony, so we got some clash of cultures going on here. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's tough. Both of these kind of abstract the theme a little bit, but they do a good job in showing the different wonders and kind of how everything plays out. For me, I think being able to actually see them and having the different wonder boards in front of you. I'm going to go with Seven Wonders. This is kind of a historical era I was a little obsessed with when I was younger. So it's fun to see it in the game.
0: Yeah, World Through the Ages, the Bronze Age is a great game, excellent components, nice and chunky wood dice, really makes you feel like you're playing something ancient. But Seven Wonders with the ability to kind of go through the different eras and kind of upgrade your technologies, I think stands above and beyond the World Through the Ages, the Bronze Age. All right, Anthony, so that means that Seven Wonders moves on to the next round. All right, now on to our number two seed, Concordia, facing our number 15 seed, Colosseum. In Concordia, you're playing a strategy game of economic development in the Mediterranean. In Colosseum, you are a producer putting on a great show in front of the Emperor. All right, Anthony, what do you got here?
1: All right, yeah, this is a tough one. I mean, Colosseum has a special place in my heart, I think. Uh come back to it a lot, but thematically, it is very, very narrow, just focusing on kind of the entertainment aspect of Ancient Rome, whereas Concordia is the entire region, and then all the other maps make it all the other regions. So historically speaking, and gameplay-wise speaking, Concordia is just a much more sweeping scope, epic uh, kind of gameplay. It's interesting to see how the components
0: while valuable to kind of telling the story of that particular age for example in coliseum you just don't have meeples but you have these roman meeples you have the emperor meeples they're really well dressed for the game but as you mentioned concordia has this amazing artwork on the board and the cards themselves really do feel like that ancient era so i'm also going to vote for concordia and concordia moves on to the next round Next up is our number 3 seed, Trajan, versus our number 14 seed, Antike 2. Trajan is a development game in which players try to increase their influence and power in various areas in Roman life, such as political influence, trading, military dominion, and other important factors in Roman cultures. Antike 2 is a challenging strategy game about evolution and competition amongst ancient
1: civilizations. All right, Anthony, you got a battle out here. What are you picking? I know this one's actually kind of tough for me because uh, on one hand, you got Stefan Feld in his favorite thematic era, ancient Rome. And on the other hand, you have Antique too, which I really, really like. It's uh, it's the way the map works out. The, the Rondell is very unique. It's another Matt Gertz game after Concordia. I mean, Trajan's way up there, but it's such a point salad. I'm going to go with Antique too.
0: Yeah, this is a really tough one for me as well. Trajan recently got to the table and people were like, what's Trajan like? I'm like, well, it's like Mario Party set in ancient Rome. And they were like, oh, okay, I remember that game. I'm like, yes, yes, absolutely. Whereas Antique 2 with the map actually depicting the region and building up your civilization, while it is somewhat abstracted, you know what? I'm actually going to have to go for Antique A2. I think it just depicts the era a lot closer. So Antique A2 moves on to the next round. All right, next up is our number four seed, Tigris and Euphrates, versus our number 13 seed, The Great Zimbabwe. Tigers and Euphrates is set in the ancient Fertile Crescent with players building civilization through tile placement, while The Greats and
1: is a game about building a trade-based civilization in ancient Africa. All right, Anthony, what are you feeling here? I don't know. Like, I don't think I've played either of these enough to have, like, a strong feeling in terms of gameplay. So thematically speaking, Tigris and Euphrates is, I mean, like any of his games, somewhat abstracted to the point where they just adjusted it and added a new theme to it relatively recently with Yellow and Yangtze, The Great Zimbabwe, however, is like, that's a theme you almost never see. And while they've openly admitted it's not necessarily historically accurate, it still delves into stuff that's not typically in games. So I'm going to go with The Great Zimbabwe. Yeah, I'm going to go with The Great Zimbabwe as well. Tigers and Euphrates is just way too abstracted when you're
0: looking at historic ages. All right, next up is our number 5 seed, Glory to Rome, versus our number 12 seed, Hannibal and Hamilcar. So in Glory to Rome, it's a card-based city building and resource management game that uses multi-use cards, whereas in Hannibal and Hanacar, it's an asymmetrical card-driven game for two players set in the time of the epic struggle between Ancient Rome and Carthage. Anthony, two dramatic games here, two radically different games here.
1: What do you think? Yeah, they are are definitely radically different. Uh, I mean, Glory to Rome, obviously, is the better known and higher rated game, but it's I think the theme in this is much less important to the point where it's been kind of slapped onto other, several other games and different formats. Hannibal and Hamilcar, however, is an epic recreation of a historical series of battles and just extremely well done. This is the newest version, obviously, the a remake of the older Hannibal game. So I'm going to go with Hannibal and Hamilcar. This is heavier. This is a war game. This takes a lot of time and investment, but it is very, very good and... In terms of like historical representation, does a great job.
0: Yeah, and it recently got its twentieth anniversary edition, which is super, super high class. I love Glory to Rome; it's one of my favorite games, but it is you know abstracted to the point of like it just might as well be anything. So I'm gonna go with Hannibal and Hamilcar. All right, so our number twelve seed Hannibal and Hamilcar moves on to the next round. Next up is our number six seed Amon Ray versus our number eleven seed Command and Colors Ancients. In Amun-Re, you are a pharaoh that you're choosing your sites to build your pyramids, and thanks to Amun-Re and other gods, you are reaping the bounty of those lands. In Command and Color Ancients, it's depicting warfare from the dawn of the military history, 3000 BC, to the opening of the Middle Ages,
1: 400 AD. Again, Anthony, radical departures here. What do you think? Yeah, this is another tough one. I mean, Amon Ray is probably one of my favorite Kinesias games. It does a good job. It does feel somewhat thematic, and it's just cool to put those little pyramids out. Command and Colors, though, that system is just brilliant, and I love it. And the fact that it goes into this particular historical period is just so much fun. So this one was such a toss-up for me, but I'm going to lean towards Command and Colors just because... I do love this system in almost every form I've played it.
0: Yeah, I'm a big fan of Amon Ra. I love the placing of pyramids and the bidding system that goes into it. But as what you said, it's somewhat abstracted where the Command & Colors system in Ancients, you really do feel like you're playing out that civilization with their strengths and weaknesses. So I'm going to go with Command & Colors Ancients as well. Our number 11 seed, Command & Colors Ancients, moves on to the next round. Next up, our number 7 seed, innis Versus our number ten seed Emotep. This is a game deeply rooted in Celtic history and lore, in which players win by being elected king of the island. Innis in Emotep, the players become builders in Egypt who want to be known as the best architect. All right, Anthony. So once again, a radical departure here of two different civilizations. What do you think?
1: Yeah, yeah, I know it's kind of funny. In this case, we have a relatively big, long dudes on a map game. We have a relatively short, accessible, family-friendly kind of almost tactile game in Emotep. I like both of these a lot, but innis for me, at least kind of stands out more just because again, it's a different theme. It's not one we see over and over again, ancient Egypt or ancient Rome or ancient Greece. It's Celtic lore and not even just Celtic mythology. It's Celtic lore and history. So and just such a fantastic, brilliant way it works out uh, mechanically towards the end of the game. So I'm going to go with Ennis, but it's very, very close.
0: Emotep, the ability to actually load the stones onto these ships and then pick an area to unload the stones. It's just really dynamic. You don't think to see that in kind of a gateway level game. But the buildings themselves don't really represent much of anything. They don't look like a pyramid necessarily. Whereas Innes, you actually are playing out that political culture there and it's dynamic and it's the artwork here is fantastic. So I'm gonna go with Innes as well. All right, so that means our number seven seed, Innis, moves on to the next round. Next up is our number eight seed, Zhang Go, versus our number nine seed, Tetuakan. So in Zhang Go. You are the emperor's emissaries, and you've been assigned to the challenging task of contributing to the process of unifying the empire, helping to build the wall and and all infrastructure needs. In Tentawaken, City of Gods, each player commands a force of worker dice, which grow in strength with every move. All right, Anthony, we've got two really dynamic games here. What are you feeling? Okay, so are we grading them on historical or hardest to say? (laughs) Well, I think either way these games kind of
1: break even because they're both a mouthful. (laughs) I paired these on purpose. I really didn't, but it's kind of funny. Zhang Guo is, it's a really good game. It's so overlooked. It's, I think it might even be out of print right now, but it it was a what's your game game out of Italy. And honestly, I just, I wish this thing, I think it's getting a reprint on Kickstarter or already has, and I hope more people get it out because it's really, really good. But in this case, how can it not be to to walk on for me? Because that's my (laughs) favorite game of the last year. And I've been roasted more times than any other game for how I pronounce it. So, yeah, I'm going to go with that one. (laughs) At the outside possibility of being actually roasted,
0: I'm going to go with what's your game, Zangal and see how that works out with the listeners yeah <laughs> if anybody speaks chinese let them know that's wrong <laughs> it's all very wrong and i apologize sincerely for this and every episode
1: we've ever done and will ever do oh <laughs> uh, uh all right so i guess that means we have to go to the listeners right because we, we don't agree here yes all right so the listeners by a pretty healthy margin agree with me and it's the hotness so how could they not they had walk on Got um, 75% of the vote in the first round for this one.
0: All right, so Ted Tawakan moves on to the next round. All right, so now we're on to our medieval bracket. We're looking at some fantastic games here. So, first up, our number one seed, The Voyages of Marco Polo, versus our number 16 seed, Lancaster. So, in Marco Polo, Players recreate this journey with each player having a different character and special power in the game. In Lancaster, it's 1413. The new king of England, Henry V of Lancaster, has ambitious plans. The unification of England and the conquest of the French crown.
1: All right, I know you have a favorite here, but what do you think? I think you know the answer to that. <laughs> yeah, The Voyages of Marco Polo is one of my favorite games, period. It's in my top 10. And I just keep coming back to it. And like historically, anytime you get into Euros like this, I don't know. I mean, it has all the characters, which is interesting. It has all, a lot of the cities on the map. But at the end of the day, it's a dice, you know, manipulation and work replacement type of game. But I love it so much. And just the way the theme is presented in the artwork and the mechanics. It's just it's got to be that one for me.
0: Yeah, it's going to be that one for me as well, and a little different here. The Voyages of Polo, as you mentioned, do have some historical characters in there, and it has a relatively accurate map that you're playing on, whereas Lancaster is more abstracted with the board itself kind of just generally kind of shaped as far as, as what your area you're going to, and the different pieces in the game just kind of being you know, a little thicker, a little thinner, so to speak. So, so our number 1 seed, The Voyages of Marco Polo, moves on to the next round. All right, next up is our number 2 seed, Orleans versus our number 15 seed, 878 Vikings. In Orleans, you must assemble a following of farmers, merchants, knights, monks, etc., to gain supremacy through trade, construction, and science in medieval France. In 878 Vikings, Invasions of England, players control the invading Vikings or the English nobles who are trying to withstand the invasion. All right, Anthony, are you pulling from a bag or are you warring throughout England?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, Orleans is probably, for me at least, like a higher rated game on my lists. But in terms, and the theme here, I love it, just the way the artwork is integrated because it's not a visual style you see very often in games, kind of that medieval French look. But 878 Vikings uses that birth of America, now birth of Europe's type of mechanic so well. And the game is so much fun. And you have all these historical characters kind of coming in. And it is a war game, but it's also very much a board game. And it does it just to me, the best of any game in that series. So for this particular bracket, I've got to go with 878 Vikings.
0: Yeah, I'm going to go with 878 Vikings Evasions of England as well. Also because it has these really nifty little expansion modules that come with the game that you can incorporate that really brings up the historical accuracy to a brand new level. I love Orleans, but it definitely is more of an abstract to kind of like get certain kind of merchants and knights and things to do other random kind of things and technologies that aren't really keeping with the time so much, but give you a general feel for it. So our number 15 seed, 878, Vikings, Invasions of England moves on to the next round. Next up is our number three seed, the Castles of Burgundy versus our number 14 seed, Kalis. The Castles of Burgundy is set in the Burgundy region of high medieval France with each player taking on the role of an aristocrat controlling a small princedom. In Kalis, the players embody master builders, by building the king's castle and developing the city around it, they earn prestige points and gain the king's favor. All right, Anthony, which royal kingdom do you want to work in?
1: Ah, man. Yeah, I mean, I I famously have yet to play Kalis, So <laughs> we've discussed this many times in the podcast, so I can't even pretend. Castles of Burgundy is another top 10 game on my list. They're both relatively abstract. We're, we're talking about theme. It's kind of a toss up, but... When all things being equal, if that's the case, I'm going to go with the Castles of Burgundy.
0: Yeah, for me, I'm going to go with Calus because it does have more of a, I, I guess, kind of like feel for the times. You do have the provost, you do have the bailiff markers that are moving throughout the game to mess with players. Both games are about building. So those buildings are valuable. And the Castles of Burgundy, while it's one of my favorite games, is Definitely a little more abstracted. So I'm going to go with
1: Kalis here. So that leaves it up to our listeners, Anthony. Yeah, and I think in this case, it was actually a bit closer than I would have expected, especially with a high seed like Castles of Burgundy that's so popular. But uh, the Castles of Burgundy did win on that vote by 60-40. All right, so our
0: number three seed, the Castles of Burgundy, moves on to the next round. Next up is our number four seed, A Feast for Odin, versus our number 13 seed, Alhambra. In A Feast for Odin, players have to hunt, gather basic materials, refine those materials, develop their production buildings, build and buy ships, and raid settlements. In Alhambra, the best master builders in the whole of Europe and Arabia want to demonstrate their skills and build the most wondrous Alhambra. All right, Anthony, so here, it's a little puzzly and it's a little tableau building. What are you thinking?
1: Yeah, and one would think that I definitely did not put these together on purpose (laughs) so that I could easily vote for A Feast for Odin and not have anybody give me grief about it being a puzzle game and not a thematic game. But I didn't actually do that on purpose. Just saying, just saying, I didn't do it on purpose. I love Alhambra. I I even backed the big giant box of all the extra stuff on Kickstarter last year. So let it not be said that I don't like Alhambra, but A Feast for Odin is my favorite Uwe Rosenberg game. I I know it's not really much about Vikings, but it is technically about Vikings, so here you go. Beast for Odin it is.
0: (laughs) Your Honor, the witness already said that it's not much about Vikings, so I am going to go with Alhambra because it actually is about building a wondrous Alhambra using all these different buildings in the game. Both are abstracted, of course, but I think Alhambra actually has more theme in it because you actually are building an Alhambra, which was specialized for that time. All right, Anthony, so that leads us to a bit of a tie. Let's go
1: to the listeners. Yes, and again, I kind of thought A Feast for Odin would do fine with the listeners here, but not as much as I expected. I think they really were kind of in our heads. They were doing what they were supposed to do at thinking about the themes here. So A Feast for Odin did win with the listeners, but only by about 10%. All right, so our number four seed,
0: A Feast for Odin, moves on to the next round. All right, next up is our number five seed, El Grande, versus our number 12 seed, The Pillars of the Earth. In El Grande, the King's power is failing and the powerful lords are vying for control of various regions. In the Pillars of the Earth, players are builders who try to contribute the most to this cathedral's construction and in doing so, score the most victory points. All right, Anthony, are you building up the cathedral or are you dropping
1: meeples? (laughs) I love that little cathedral in the Pillars of the Earth. And, you know, it's it's based on a novel, which is, of course, not purely historical, but it's a fairly, you know, well-sourced historical type of novel. And El Grande, while a classic, is kind of abstracts the theme a little bit. So I'm going to go with the Pillars of the Earth just because I really do enjoy kind of how it takes on that theme. And I love
0: building that little cathedral. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to have to go with building the cathedral as well. It does fit the historical era, A lot more appropriately, the Pillars of the Earth, our number 12 seed moves on in a big upset. Next up, our number 6 seed, Twa, versus our number 11 seed, Carcassonne. In Twa, each player manages their segment of the population, represented by a horde of dice, and their hand of cards, which represents three primary dominions of the city, religious, military, and civil. In Carcassonne, you are playing a tile placement game in which each player draws and places a tile with a piece of Southern French landscape on it.
1: Okay, Anthony, what are you feeling here? It's all French to me. Yeah. <laughs> so much French in this one. Twa is a lot of fun. And again, it's like that whole, like, the same reason I mentioned Orléans, I love this artwork style and you just don't see it too often. I mean, it has to match the theme, obviously, but in this case, it really, really does. I know some people think the dice mechanics a little mean, but... I rather enjoy it. Carcassonne at this point, it while thematically appropriate, is about as generic as it gets for a modern hobby board game because everything is based on it. So I'm going to go with Twa. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of Twa because as you mentioned, it's, it's kind of
0: mean, but yet it, it does really try to fit that historical era and talk about the powers of that time. So I'm going to go with Twa. So our number six seed, Twa, moves on to the next round. All right, next up is our number seven seed, Dominion. Versus our number 10 seed, Raiders of the North Sea. In Dominion, you are a monarch like your parents before you, a small ruler of a pleasant kingdom of rivers and evergreens that utilizes a classic deck-building mechanic. And in Raiders of the North Sea, you are Viking warriors, and you are seeking to impress the chieftain by raiding unsuspecting Settlements. Okay, Anthony, once again, we have a radical departure here. We have two really
1: great gateway games, classics of their time. What do you think? Yeah, this one's tough. I mean, I Dominion is an all-time classic and still one of the best deck builders, and you throw in some of those expansions and it, it does have some interesting stuff, but to me it's always felt fairly themeless. You're not really looking at who the people are so much as what they do. Raiders of the North Sea, not that much more thematic, but a very solid gateway game, and does managed to stay relatively historically accurate to Viking times without throwing in all the, the crazy creatures and stuff like of a champions of Midgard. So I'm going to go with Raiders of the North Sea. Yeah.
0: I think Dominion is the far superior game on all accounts, but Raiders of the North Sea does stick to the theme a lot more, even if it's not right down the line. So I'm going to go with Raiders of the North Sea. So our number 10 seed, Raiders of the North Sea with the upset moves on to the next round. Next up is our number eight seed Antiquity, Versus our number nine seed, Shogun. In antiquity, it's set in Italy during the late Middle Ages. Players choose their own victory condition and can focus on population growth, trade, conquest, or city building by choosing their patron saint. In Shogun, each player assumes the role of a great daimyo with all of his troops trying to conquer the lands. Okay,
1: Anthony, once again, clash of cultures here. What do you got? Yeah, no, this is a a good one. Antiquity is, I mean, it's a big sprawling game. There's a lot going on there. It's a brilliant game, but it is a lot to take in. Shogun, there are a lot of games set in this era, but a lot of them are very much war games. So there are not a lot of Euros, uh, especially not with that amazing cube tower. This is like a re-implementation of another game from a similar era that we didn't include here. This one's a little bit better. So I'm going to go with Shogun just because it's not as common of a theme. It's very interestingly done. And it's a big Sprawling production, which is a lot of fun when you get all this stuff out for it.
0: What Antiquity does with city building that I haven't seen in any other games is dealing with the environmental consequences of building in that age with all the waste that goes out there, how you have to deal with the waste, and how you're crowding out other players with the, your own city. So I'm going to go with Antiquity. So that leaves us up to our listeners, Anthony. What do they have to say?
1: All right. So this was the closest one so far that we've had to get a split on. There's a difference of three votes. But Shogun does have the most votes from our listeners. All right, so our number nine seed, Shogun, moves on to the next round.
0: All right, so now we're on to our early modern bracket. This is where stuff gets really good. Our number one seed, Goa, versus our number 16 seed, Here I Stand, Wars of the Reformation, 1517 to 1555. In Goa, it's a strategy game of auctions and resource management set in the 16th century. Beautiful beaches, a mild climate, and one of the most important trade centers in the world. In Here I Stand, Wars of the Reformation 1517 to 1555, it's a card driven game that prominently features secret
1: deal-making. All right, Anthony, what do you have for us here? All right. So Here I Stand is one of those games that it gets talking about a lot. It's just this brilliant piece of board gaming, historical everything. And it, I know it's big in the solo community, but it's really hard to get to the table. And thematically, you know, it's a, you have to dig in a little bit. Goa, it's more accessible. It is hard to find, but it is a lot more accessible as a game. And it does kind of some interesting things with the trading. So I'm going to go with Goa. I love Goa. It's one
0: of my favorite games as far as auctions are concerned. But Here I Stand
1: does a fantastic job with the theme. Let's go to our listeners, Anthony. All right. So I think because Here I Stand it is tough to get to the table, uh, Goa did come out here with the win uh, as the uh, number one seed. All
0: right. So Goa, our number one seed, moves on to the next round. All right. Next up is our number two seed, Keyflower, versus our number 15 seed, The Palaces of Carrera. In Keyflower, you using your workers to build up your homelands in order to reap the resources, build up production, and use tools to be able to deal with the different seasons. In the Palaces of Carrera, players want to buy marble from this famous region in Italy to build up
1: fantastic buildings throughout Italy. Okay, Anthony, what do you have for us here? All right, Uh, this is a tough one because I have not played either of these games particularly much and they're both relatively abstract in terms of theme. So I'm going to go with the game that I feel has the most interesting take on this and has at least the most staying power and some additional expansions that kind of build it out and add some new ideas to it and that's key flower i don't know if this will take a home the bracket necessarily but in terms of these two particular games i think that's the one to go with i'm gonna go with
0: the Palace of carrera i mean i think it does a really nice job as far as if you were a stone merchant and you did have to buy marble you know dealing with the market would be something that would be key in that time Having the map, once again, it's very, very abstracted, but it does have those different Italian cities in which you're trying to build towards. So I'm going to go with the Palace of Carrera, which means, Anthony, we are going to our listeners. What do they have to say?
1: All right. So I think this one comes down to the Palace of Carrera being non-existent in the English-speaking market, unfortunately, because I know it's a great game. But Keyflower does come out ahead here by a pretty healthy margin.
0: All right, our number two seed, Keyflower, moves on to the next round. Okay, next up is our number three seed, Lorenzo Il Magnifico, versus our number 14 seed, Gugan. In Lorenzo Il Magnifico, each player takes on the role of the head of a noble family in a city during the Italian Renaissance. In Gugan, players take on the role of powerful Chinese families trying to gain influence and power by exchanging gifts with officials. Our right, Anthony, powerful families, lots of gifts here. What do you like?
1: Yeah, it's funny. These are both kind of similar in that they have... A lot of ideas taken from both historical eras and placed into the games, but of course they are somewhat abstracted Euros. Lorenzo is one of my favorite Euros of the last couple years. Gugong is a relatively recent release. It's in an era that doesn't get covered a ton in these types of games, but it doesn't do a lot with that necessarily. You are building a wall, you are bringing gifts There are some interesting thematic elements to those gifts. But Lorenzo, you have specific people from that era on the leader cards. You have all of this different stuff that you can do. And I feel like it just kind of comes together a little bit more in the end. Uh, And then, of course, I just like it a little bit more as a game. So I'm going to go with Lorenzo Il Magnifico.
0: Both of these games are somewhat abstracted for their times, but they both incorporate a lot of good mechanics. I like the gift-giving mechanic for Gugong as being a historic element of this game. So I'm going to go with And, All right, Anthony, so
1: that means we're going on to our listeners. What do they have to say? All right, so the listeners on this one, relatively close. Gugong's relatively recent, so people are getting into the table a lot more these days. But Lorenzo Il Magnifico does come out just a hair on top, so that one's moving on. All right, so that means our number three
0: seed, Lorenzo Il Magnifico, moves on to the next round. All right, next up is our number four seed, Endeavor, Age of Sail, versus our number 13 seed, Shakespeare. In Endeavor, Age of Sail, you'll be sailing out from Europe and the Mediterranean, in which players will establish shipping routes and occupy cities all around the world. In Shakespeare, players are theater managers who must recruit actors, craftsmen, jewelers, and others in order to assemble everything needed for the play's performance at the week's end. Okay, Anthony, two radically different games here. What do you got?
1: All right. Yeah, I think Endeavor does a decent job of trying to capture its theme, but the problem is it doesn't always do it well or tactfully. Shakespeare, on the other hand, is, again, a unique theme. It's talking about putting on the plays of Shakespeare in the time of Shakespeare. has all these different actors and characters on these cards that kind of help you out in terms of presenting these different plays. I don't know how representative it is of Elizabethan in England, but of this particular process of putting on plays, I really, really enjoy it. And I'm just not a fan of how Endeavor ended up managing its theme in certain areas like the slavery cards. So I'm going to go with Shakespeare. Yeah, I'm going to go with Shakespeare as well. As you
0: mentioned, the artwork here in this game really depicts the different craftsmen of the time, and it's somewhat it was historically accurate. So that means our number 13 seat, Shakespeare, in a shakeup moves on to the next round. All right, next up is our number five seed, Fresco, versus our number 12 seed, Amerigo. In Fresco, players are master painters working to restore a Fresco in a Renaissance church. And in Amerigo, the players help Amerigo
1: Vespucci on his journey to discover the new land. All right, Anthony, what do you have for us here? All right. Yeah, this is a funny one because I feel like most of the time with Stefan Feld, I'm like, ah, theme, I don't know. Eh." And it's not that Amerigo has a lot of theme to it, but I do like the way it segments things up and you're collecting these different pieces and then you're placing them out and it has a cube tower. We've already discussed that. So (laughs) in terms of all of his games, this was the one that I have the most fun with thematically speaking. Fresco, again, a very interesting idea. It's different than a lot of the other games out there, but it just wasn't really for me and it just in the end it feels like matching different colored cubes to things so i'm gonna go with america
0: yeah this is really tight for me i really like both these games they're both somewhat abstracted i do like the fact that in fresco you're actually restoring this great masterpiece here by matching the colors although it's a little simplified so to speak and then america as you mentioned being able to sail and kind of go through these no homelands and, and get resources and valuable riches really really tough one here for me but unfortunately I'm going to have to go against you here Anthony I'm going to go with Fresco I just just think because having the masterpiece of artwork on the board that you are uncovering really does something for the game all right <laughs> all right so we go on to our listeners what do they have to say Anthony
1: uh listeners agree with you I think seems like it <laughs> what are you going to do um, <laughs> yeah so they they did pick Fresco two
0: fantastic games all right so Our number five seed, Fresco, moves on to the next round. Next up is our number six seed, Bruges, versus our number 11 seed, Rajas of the Ganges. In Bruges, players assume the role of merchants who must maintain their relationships with those in power in the city while competing against each other for influence, power, and status. In Rajas of the Ganges, players race against each other in support of the Empire by developing their estates into wealthy and magnificent provinces. Our Anthony, we have two vastly different
1: cultures, but utilizing some similar mechanics here. What do you like? Yeah, I mean, this is a pretty good matchup, I think. And I, you know, I'm notoriously have not been a huge fan of brood, mechanically speaking, but it does a good job kind of of bringing those various things in and kind of the elements like the fires are important. Rajas of the Ganges, though, I just really enjoy how unique and different it is and the things you end up focusing on and moving down the river and the whole idea of this karma track. So I'm going to go with Rajas of the Ganges just because, again, and I keep mentioning this, and it's not the sole criteria, but all things being equal, if it does something unique and different and discovering, you know, discussing a different culture than what we see every day at the table, I'm going to go with that. So Rajas of the Ganges for me. I'm going to go with Bruges because it, depicts
0: all these different people coming to Bruges and there's different merchants and there's royalty and there's medics and there's different technologies that they're bringing into the game both of these games are abstracted but Bruges feels like you're actually in that time period
1: all right Anthony so we have a tie let's see what our listeners have to say yeah this is one of the ones most of the time the listeners picked the higher seed but in this case they did pick Roger to the Ganges which is a Decently lower seed, so that's surprising. All right, so in an upset,
0: our number 11 seed, Rajas of the Ganges, moves on to the next round. All right, our number 7 seed, Navigador versus our number 10 seed, Coimbra. In Navigador, players take actions such as contracting men, acquiring ships and buildings, sailing the seas, establishing colonies, and discovering lands, trading goods on the market, and gaining privileges throughout the lands. In Coimbra, You are the head of one of Quimbra's oldest houses. You are there to seek prestige by deepening relationships with nearby monasteries or funding expeditions of the era.
1: Okay, Anthony, radically different games here. What do you got? Okay, so if you're asking me which game I liked more, I'd probably say Quimbra. But if you're asking me which one I felt was a little more thematic, this is tough because, again, two Euros, but navigador has you know has the map of the era it has a wonderful aesthetic kind of that old school old world map it has the different goods that you're trading that are relevant to the times good old-fashioned mecker uh rondel style game queen bra is beautiful to look at but i don't know that i ever felt any type of connection to any type of theme when playing this game like i didn't even really question when was this taking place or where i don't know so i'm gonna go with navigador yeah, I love Queen Brun. I love the
0: idea that they are bringing out more culture from Portugal. But as you mentioned, Navigador does a much better job. You have the map, you have the economic system that's going on the time, and it just plays a little bit better as far as just depicting the time. Matt Gertz did a great job here. All right, so that looks like Navigador, our seven seed, moves on to the next round. All right, finally for this bracket, we have our number eight seed, the Princess of Florence, Versus our number nine seed, Notre Dame. In the Princes of Florence, players attract artists and scholars trying to become the most prestigious family in Florence. And in Notre Dame, the players take on the role of heads of influence and families in Paris at the end of the
1: 14th century. All right, Anthony, what do you have? Yeah, these are two really good games. I like both of them quite a bit. On Notre Dame's side, we do once again have a a Stefan Feld game. It's somewhat abstract. I do love the way the map is laid out, though, kind of a historical Paris. But Princes of Florence is one of those games that kind of jumped out at me and I really enjoyed from the first play. And it's got puzzle pieces, so you know where I'm going here. I'm going to go with the Princes of Florence.
0: I'm going to go with Notre Dame here, as you mentioned, having the map while abstracted still depicting the wondrous area here and how you kind of navigate that is really different than any other game that I've ever played. All right, Anthony, so we have a little bit of a clash up here. Let's go to our listeners and see what they have to say.
1: Yeah, I mean, as an 8-9, as you'd expect, this is very close. These are both older games. Both of them are hard to find. So it came down pretty close in the end, but the listeners did agree with you and they picked Notre Dame.
0: All right, our number nine C Notre Dame, moves on to the next round. All right, now we move on to our final bracket, the late modern period. So first up, we have our number one seed, Brass Birmingham, versus our number 16 seed, Louis XIV. In Brass Birmingham, you are players that are competing entrepreneurs in Birmingham during the Industrial Revolution between the years 1770 and 1870. In Louis XIV, the players take on the roles of members of the court Where they can carry out their missions and goals in versailles all right anthony
1: what do you got here a lot of power is going on yeah no this is a fun one uh brass birmingham is i mean thematically speaking you're building up industries the artwork and production of the new versions of course this is the new version of brass the original brass just really evoke that time period it's hard to say It's thoroughly thematic but you are building up these different industries and selling them and trying to the different values and how the values fluctuate over time is very interesting and louis the 14th is you know, a little bit more abstract as a hand management and set collection game i'm gonna go with brass birmingham here
0: yeah you do have the royalty of the times for louis the 14th and that's really nice to see but beyond that it's an abstract a game brass birmingham you are competing in that economic market and it is very tight throughout And the situation as far as being able to purchase buildings and upgrades and building rail systems, so logistics matters so much in this game. I'm going to give it to Brass Birmingham. All right, so that means our number one seed, no surprise here, Brass Birmingham moves on to the next round. All right, next up is our number two seed, Lisboa, versus our number 15 seed, 1830, Railways and Robber Barons. Lisboa is a game about the reconstruction of Lisboa after the Great Earthquake of 1755. In 1830, players are seeking to make the most money by buying and selling stock in various share companies located on the eastern United States map. All right, Anthony here. It's
1: all about reconstruction and building. What do you got? Yeah, this was tough. I mean, there are certainly people out there who would argue that the 18XX games are thoroughly thematic and really represent, you know, kind of the logistics of building the railways uh, in the 19th century. I'm not one of those people, unfortunately. It's not, you know, I have nothing against these games, of course. It's just never really struck a chord with me. Lisboa, however, is probably one of the most thematic Euros I've played to date. And that's something Vital Lacerda just does. He imbues his games with theme. He thinks about it. He He works on it. The people here, the the abilities, the whole idea of how you're rebuilding the city, it's all in this game, and it really works quite well. So I'm going to go with Lisboa.
0: This is really a hard matchup early on. I think if 1830 Railways and Robert Barons was somewhere else in the bracket, this would probably move on to the finals because it does utilize the real companies of the time. It does utilize the map that's appropriate for here. But as you mentioned, Lisboa is so thematic because you are dealing with all the catastrophes of that time and the rebuilding that goes on with that time and utilizing the political figures and the church at the same time. It does something that I haven't seen and done in in many games. So Lisboa, for me, is going to be the pick. And our second seed, Lisboa, moves on to the next round. All right, next up is our number three seed, Rococo, versus our number 14 seed, Legacy, the 10th. Our number 14 seat, Legacy, The Testament of Duke D versus our number 14 seat, Legacy, The Testament of Duke de Chrissy. All right. In Rococo, it's during the era and the reign of Louis Fifteenth, And it's safe to say that holding lavish balls is quite trendy. You're going to be funding monuments, fireworks, and building and constructing fabulous dresses. In The Legacy, of The Testament of Duke D. Chrissy... It's a worker placement game in which you take actions to improve the standing
1: and the wealth of your family. All right, Anthony, what do you have? All right, I mean, these are both games I've played a limited number of times, but uh, both are very, very good and had a lot of fun with them Uh, and and do a decent job of representing their themes. I think for me, um, Rococo, while very evocative of that time period, is very narrow in its scope because it's just looking at this one very specific part um, of France at the time. Um, Legacy, however, is a little more sweeping i mean it's covering you know you're one of the you're a patriarch or matriarch here and you're building up a legacy it's covers several generations you're trying to build out your family all these different cards and while they're not like specific families from like 18th century france i feel like it's very well done in how it represents that time period so i'm gonna go with legacy on this
0: one yeah they're both fantastic representations of those eras for me i'm gonna go with rococo just because the artwork in the game is more true to the style and times and really is evocative, whereas with Legacy, it's a little more cartoonish. So, all right, Anthony, so we have a little bit of a tie here. Let's
1: see what the listeners have to say. So in this uh, face-off of 18th century France games, the listeners were on board with you. They uh, they like Rococo. All right, our number three seed
0: Rococo moves on to the next round. All right, next up is our four seed, St. Petersburg, versus our number 13 seed, Arkwright. In St. Petersburg, you are trying to work with the aristocrats, the craftsmen, and the buildings of the time in order to score the most victory points possible. In Arkwright, players run up to four factories in England during the late 18th century.
1: Your goal is to have the most valuable block of shares. Okay, Anthony, what do you have for us here? All right, yeah, this is a funny one because Arkwright is almost a a stockholding... Uh, board game version of like an 18xx game but it's one i really enjoy and it does really feel like you're running one of these companies you know in the 19th century st petersburg however is just this very clever you know card-based game that really works quite well especially with the uh, you know newer edition with the extra pieces thrown in it's just unfortunately incredibly difficult to find and play thematically speaking in terms of the types of games that i gravitate towards in the way that it represents that era i'm gonna go with arc right but it's very close on this one for me
0: yeah these are both very tough games as you said as abstracted to the point where you're basically either working off a spreadsheet or you're working off a hand of cards that are trying to kind of score the most victory points
1: possible so i'm gonna to have to go with st petersburg all right anthony we got a little bit of a tie here whatever our listeners have to say Yeah, the listeners on this one, uh, you know, you've got uh, St. Petersburg, which is very rare and hard to find. You've got Arkwright, which is big and heavy and probably doesn't get played a ton. People did lean towards Arkwright on this one, so that one comes away uh, with the listener vote. All right, and a major
0: upset. Our number 13 seed, Arkwright, moves on to the next round. Next up is our number 5 seed, 1775 Rebellion, versus our number 12 seed, John Company. In 1775 Rebellion, players take on the roles of American Continental Army and patriots against the British Army and the Loyalists. In John Company, players will steer their dynasties through the company's history, vying for positions and power and, of course,
1: prestige. Okay, Anthony, what do you think? All right. So... I guess I almost had the exact same conversation. We we're talking about eight seven eight Vikings earlier. In this case, though, I think John Company puts up a good fight. It is incredibly thematic, highly detailed, really tries to capture what John Company was. And the only reason that I'm just not a little bit more leaning towards that is it it's more of a simulation than a game. Like you don't actually do a whole lot. The whole semi cooperative nature of the game is a little off putting and you don't get to experience the whole of the different pieces of john company you're just doing your one piece of it 1775 rebellion on the other hand you are the revolutionary army you are the british you are fighting these things out in these different areas and just really like that birth of america approach to this type of game so i'm gonna go with 1775
0: yeah as you mentioned both these games do a fantastic job it's really hard to pick between the two you know I'm going to go with John Company just because it really depicts something different that we typically don't see, which is the generational situation as far as running a company is concerned. All right, Anthony. So we got a little bit of a tie here. What do our listeners have to say?
1: All right. Yeah, this one was pretty close as well. I guess people have played both of these games and have a... Pretty close opinion as well. But 1775 did get a handful more votes. So that one is the listener, vote, and winner. Our number five seed, 1775,
0: Rebellion moves on to the next round. Next up is our number six seed, Yokohama, versus our number 11 seed, Obsession. In Yokohama, each player is a merchant trying to gain fame from a successful business. And to do so, they need to build up a store, broaden their sales channels, and learn a variety of techniques and, of course, respond to the trade orders from abroad. In Obsession, you are the head of a respected but troubled family estate in mid-19th century Victorian England. After several lean decades, family fortunes are looking up. Your goal is to prove your estate so you're in better standing with the truly influential families.
1: All right, Anthony, what do you have for us? Yeah, I don't know that I've played any Euros that are more thematic lately than Obsession. Just the sheer amount of just knowledge and flavor text and everything imbued in this game is off the charts. Yokohama is a really fun game. It's really good. It really captures the different economic concerns of, you know, Meiji area Japan. But Obsession is just it's the Victorian board game. If you're looking for a Victorian board game, it's this. So I'm going to go with obsession.
0: All right. So that means our number 11 seed in a big upset obsession moves on to the next round. All right. Next up is our number seven seed Newton versus our number 10 seed Clans of Caledonia. In Newton, players take on the role of a young scientist who wants to become one of the great geniuses of the period. In Clans of Caledonia, the game is set in 19th century Scotland. At this time, Scotland made the transition from agriculture to industrial country that is heavily relied on trade and export. All right, Anthony, what do you have for us?
1: All right, I like both of these games quite a bit. They're a lot of fun. They have a lot of different pieces moving around. Both of them can be played relatively quickly and have some interesting kind of twists on typical Euro mechanisms. But newton is about as themeless as it gets like there's really not anything there that makes you think oh i'm a scientist in the age of reason clans of caledonia however you are taking little you know agricultural meeples you're putting them on the board you're producing things you're converting those things into other things you're selling them you're manipulating the markets it does feel like a game of the time uh both in terms of gameplay and theme and artwork so i'm gonna go with clans of caledonia
0: it's a credit to newton that even though there isn't much theme, it does have a little small kind of like map of, of Europe, that it does feel dynamic. But Clans of Caledonia, from start to finish, the map, while abstracted, is thematic as far as trying to deal with the market and the markets themselves, as you mentioned, Anthony really do play out really, really dynamically. So I'm going to go with Clans of Caledonia. So our number 10 seed, Clans of Caledonia, moves on to the next round. All right, and finally for this bracket, we have our number 8 seed, Nippon, versus our number 9 seed, Lewis and Clark. In Nippon, you are playing a fast-paced economic game with challenging decisions set during an important time in Japanese history and when a great nation is born. In Lewis and Clark, each player manages an expedition intended to cross the North American
1: continent. All right, Anthony, these eight and nine picks have always been rough. What do you got? Yeah, this one is a little bit tough. Uh, I actually just replayed Nippon recently. And again, just like Yokohama, it does a good job of kind of replicating this very, very rapid modernization of Japan in the industrial age. But Lewis and Clark does a little bit more. Now, gameplay-wise, it's a bit of a race. You're moving down this the river and through the mountains. But the way in which you do it and the cards you draw and all of the different uh, flavor text that comes in about who these people were and what they did, whether it's all 100% accurate or not, not 100% sure, but it's pretty close. And it does a lot of interesting things there, combined with the beautiful artwork and the fantastic presentation I'm going to go with Lewis and Clark on this one.
0: Yeah, this is a really tough one here. Nippon does a great job with their economic market and building up these different technologies. But Lewis and Clark, while it does stumble in some places historically and theme-wise a little bit, it does represent the time, the era, and it does utilize a lot of the historical characters from the time. So I'm going to go with Lewis and Clark. All right, so that means our number nine seed, Lewis and Clark, moves on to the next round. And that's everything for March Gamer Madness, Best Historic Era for Games, Join us next week. We move on to round two and three and the following week when we wrap up rounds four and five and declare our final winner. Thank you all again for joining us for this fantastic bracket system. We hope you enjoy as much as we do producing it. And until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save you a seat at the table.